If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to Newborn Mothers Podcast. And today we have Becca. Um, Becca's coming in from Darawal country, Wollongong, and she is a Shawnee descendant who grew up in Turtle Island in the US. She works with a small team to provide trauma-informed perinatal support to mums who may have barriers to access because of language, culture, or finances. And her organization is called Peaceful Birth Partnership. It's so wonderful to have you here. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really excited to get to chat with you. Yeah, I am too. And we've kind of known each other for a little bit of time, but don't know a lot about each other. So it's been really a lovely. It's one of the greatest things of having a podcast is having an opportunity to get to dig into people's stories a little bit more. So do you want to introduce yourself um, and where you come from and, and you know, what, what you kind of did before you, you came to this work? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important for me. I've lived as a um, a visitor on Darwell Country for the last um, 13 years. And so I want to acknowledge the absolute um, power of Wadi Wadi women in raising their families here in the face of colonization um, and really want to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And it's been such a gift to um, to live here, to, to give birth to my three kids here, to raise my kids here, to have my kids in, um, school. Um, we live near Wollongong, uh, in New South Wales, and it's just a very gorgeous place with the ocean and the mountains and it's, it's awesome. We love it. Um, and I do, yep, I grew up on Turtle Island and in Western Pennsylvania and, um, but found my way here long ago and yeah i'm really grateful to be here and Mm. um i think for me one thing that really got me to start working with moms especially moms who are um like refugee background is one of the groups of women that our little organization kind of works with is just being in community being a neighbor um our area is very multicultural our school the school my kids go to has is a tiny school that has 42 nationalities and 24 languages. So literally just meeting moms at school and in the, in the neighborhood, that was the first couple of um, pregnant moms who were Syrian that I supported and I was at their births. And um, I had spent time, um, I have spent a lot of time overseas and had spent time in the Middle East and um, yeah, was just found, yeah, found that um, there were moms in my neighborhood and my community at my school who just didn't have the support they needed to really navigate the hospital system. And I was trained as a doula and a birth educator and just was able to kind of come alongside people. And yeah, it's been really, really good. That was going to be my next question. So when you supported those first two Syrian women through their pregnancy and their birth, You'd already trained as a doula? Yeah, I had and as a birth educator. And I actually had also taken my family to Lebanon 
I took my two four and six year olds and my husband, fortunately, uh, to Lebanon for about seven weeks. And I did a little course there learning about trauma. I was kind of coming to terms with my own uh, experience of having post-traumatic stress disorder and um, wanted to learn more about how to better serve neighbors and friends in my community. And um, yeah, what that, yeah, how trauma affects us and how we can heal. And um, and when I was in Lebanon, there's actually so many Syrians living there as refugees. Like I think Lebanon like increased their population by about a third during the Syrian crisis. And, um, and there was a lot of pregnant moms and just coming alongside them, um, doing some birth education was really amazing. And then realizing, oh, and then these moms get humanitarian visas and they come to Wollongong and they don't necessarily have any extra support. There is refugee health services, which are really good, but in terms of more, more like one-on-one, -on -one, you know, really come alongside you, doula support. I could see that was lacking. So, um, yeah. So, I, so you that, did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was really awesome. One of them was a quite a good friend of mine and it was baby number six. And one of the cool things with that was, um, that was her first birth for her husband to be there. And so even part of our, me and my friend, Jessamy, who I work with, part of our job was supporting him to be there because culturally that wouldn't happen. So and she'd had her other babies in Syria? She had four others in Syria and then had one here. She had had a fifth, fifth baby here, and, but her husband hadn't been there because he hadn't been at the other ones. And um, so supporting him to be there. And it was interesting because she, afterwards I said, oh, how was it for him? And she said her response to that was, when he went back to work, he was ringing me six times a day to see if I was okay. So it really impacted their relationship for him to actually be a part of supporting her in the birth, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow. And that was a six baby. And, and um, yeah. the first time he'd kind of like really realized yeah. what that meant. Yeah. 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 Amazing. What a, what an amazing gift to be able to guide people through that. It, that's a really difficult cultural space to, to navigate. So I, I bet there's a lot of people who really appreciate your effort. I want to rewind a little bit because you mentioned post-traumatic stress disorder and, and I know that you really care about breaking the cycles of trauma. What kind of work do you do in that space? And and I guess why why birth? Why is that the the area that you've chosen to do that in? Yeah. Well, I think when mums have trauma in their backgrounds, birth is, I feel like it's an opportunity to either be, ex, you know, well supported or to feel extremely disempowered. And when women are disempowered during, like experience that sense of powerlessness during birth, th that is a traumagenic experience, right? That's a, a, an experience that can become trauma. And I think in Australia, it's like, is it one in three women? Yeah, one in three. Traumatic. Um, and so I feel like, especially when you have moms who are um, refugee background, like if they've made it to Australia on humanitarian visas, they very likely have tra traumatic experiences in their backgrounds. Um, and the other women we work with as well would have, often have trauma in their backgrounds. And I think birth is just, an, if you're well supported, you can, it can really set you up to then have baby with you right after birth, right? Um, to 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 be bonded to baby, which then 
the more bonded a mom is to baby, the more responsive she will be able to be in early parenting. And ultimately, the less violent we are with our children, you know, the more responsive, um, the more responsive we are and supportive we feel, the less violent we're going to be. And the, that's less trauma for the next generation of kids, really. So I do think birth and early parenting is a very important time for moms to be supported. Um, I think it's a really important time for moms to examine how they were parented. And um, I think a lot of us, we feel like we had a good enough childhood. And then we have babies that demand everything from us. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, we are suddenly so triggered. Like I think, you know, if you were a if you were a, a child a baby that was left to cry, even if you don't remember but your body remembers, or if you're a you're a toddler who was screamed at or a six year old who was put down verbally or physically abused, you know, that then having a baby or a child scream at you can actually trigger that like sense of powerlessness and then but now we're the big one and so then we we yell back or we you know, smack or we lash out in some way that we actually don't want to. Um, so having support, to be honest about that, to examine that. Um, I've seen moms like make really big changes to their families and like break cycles of, of you know, neglect, violence, trauma in, the, in their families. Yeah, I love that. And you mentioned briefly too that then that carries forward into parenting so I know you do some parenting support as well but I loved how you described your own parenting style can you uh, tell us a bit yeah. about that <laughs> yeah so my I mean I'm so grateful for my husband who has like been my you know someone introduced me to attachment parenting when I was pregnant with my first baby and I had never I didn't know people intentionally slept with their babies in their bed I thought that was like accidental like you didn't want that <laughs> um, and I even remember hearing somebody you know talk about breastfeeding their 18 month old and I was just like what Oh, like I'll never thinking, oh, I would never do that. And um, and and then just getting learning more about the benefits. I know there's um there's a book called Parenting for a Peaceful World by Robin Grill. Have you heard of that book? I've heard of her. Yeah. yeah. He, I think he. I think, oh, him. Is it? Yeah. But he's an Australian, actually. It's a, and um, he goes through. I mean, it's just highly recommend it. It really shaped it. He goes through the history of Western parenting and how we've moved from more violent to less violent, more responsive. And he looks at indigenous parenting practices as well, which are very responsive parenting practices. And, um, and, um, yeah. So anyway, so we do this and we have these high expectations, Chris and I have like, we're you know, and then we end up with this super high needs baby. That's like, you know, just very intense. And then we're, surprise eight, he's eight month old and still a very high needs baby and we get pregnant again so then we have two under 17 months and then we had another surprise um which was so we had three under four and i tandem fed so i fed everybody until they were at least three about even up to four and a half and did all the things and then i think you know we have a a, a one-year-old a three-year-old and a five-year-old and we're just like this is craziness. Like we were, I remember us crying. I was like, Chris, this isn't working. Like everything they told us about attachment period, this isn't working. Like our kids don't listen. Our kids don't sleep. Like what's going on? And, and he was like, Becca, like we're choosing, like we are doing this. This is the right thing for us. This is integrous for us to choose this. And he's like, 
we are not going to be the world's best parents. There's not a chance. We are going to be mediocre parents, but we are going to be the best damn mediocre parents we could be. And so we have just held to that. And I think that moment was actually very pivotal for me. Like, I do not have to be perfect. I want to be the perfect parent. I want to never yell. I want to not have my kids have screen time. I want to have tidy house. That's not going to happen. Like I mentioned, my house generally looks like we got robbed. Like if you went upstairs, you'd be like, Oh goodness. Uh, we get there, you know, we always wrap it up at some point, but, um, yeah. So I think for me, it's like letting go of that need to be perfect and really being honest about the culture in which I was parented, which was like eighties Christian American, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but yeah, a little, yeah, I think American parent and American culture permeates the whole world. So I think, you know, in yeah. Australia, we have, we have similar influences, as well but i do think that a lot of our our cultural ideals come from idealizing america so yeah that's a lot of that here too i think yeah and and i and you know i i always believe that parents are doing actually their best they're doing their best but it's also to, okay to say that 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 wasn't actually good enough you know and they did their best but now i'm actually going to stand on their shoulders and i'm going to do, do a little bit better. 10% better. 10% better. Like for me, like we don't smack our kids. We never have smacked them. But I yell at my kids. I've screamed in their faces. And I've had plenty of ruptures. Like I can't really call it peaceful parenting. I can't even call it gentle parenting. But I'm like, but I'm more gentle. I'm more responsive. When there's rupture, I'm repairing it. And I'm taking responsibility as the parent to make things right with my child. And that was the thing where I felt very responsible to, to, to make things okay um, when I was a kid. And I don't think my parents intended for that necessarily, but that's what happened. And that's how I've internalized it. And so for me, it's like, I'm taking the responsibility to my child. Like, look, I lost my temper. I, I needed to walk away. I, you know, just letting the, the you're not the problem is me. I'm the problem and I'm working on it. And my kids know that, you know, I go to therapy like I'm always in and out of therapy um, <laughs> because I need a place to process you know and I feel like and I, I had mentioned that you know I feel like now that my kids are like 12 10 and 8 like I do feel like it's paying off like I feel like I can see the tr all the trust of those sleepless nights that I built by having my kids in my bed and having my kids close to me and you know all of those apologies over the years like I'm seeing that finally but it's taken a long time like yeah and I love just how real you are about this because I think when a lot of people talk about attachment parenting and it's on Instagram with like linen clothing and everything's like beige and minimalist and clean and it looks like these moms are having such a great time <laughs> But it's so hard. It's really hard. And that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I want to mention is, you know, you were saying you're parenting, like your parents were parenting in a in this like social situation, but so were we. And yeah. attachment parenting was the norm biologically for humans for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, but also so was alloparenting. You wouldn't have been the only one sleeping with your baby and the only one breastfeeding your baby and the only one carrying your baby and the only one cooking dinner. So the expectation that we can meet the needs of our babies alone, it's like it's actually unrealistic. We just have to kind of muddle through doing the best we can knowing that it's never going to be perfect because we don't have eight to 14 adults every day 
helping us to complete all of those tasks. Are you loving this podcast? Check out our books at newbornmothers.com. Nourishing Newborn Mothers is a recipe book designed to nourish your mind, body and soul after childbirth. And my second book, Newborn Mothers, was a bestseller. I know, I can't believe it either. It's about baby brain, village building and how to find happiness in 21st century parenting. You can get the first chapter free of both books at newbornmothers.com books. Do you feel like you have had aloe parents in your life? As you- Look, a little bit and I've made a huge effort and it's still really hard. So I did deliberately, um, I do deliberately live around the corner from my parents. So so there's my husband and I, that's two, my mum and dad, that's four. I also have a couple of neighbours that are almost like aunties and uncles to my children. I would, you know, consider them to be very close. But my sister lives overseas. My husband's family all live um, interstate. Yeah. So it's still not easy or a lot, even with all of the effort that we put in, you know. So I think it's like I think there's a lot of grief for people, you know, that that's like that that's lost. And I, I imagine for Indigenous people that's also true you know and it may be even in closer memory yeah yeah I have it's interesting you bring up aloe parenting because I've been thinking about that lately because I have a a woman who was a client that I supported who's refugee background alone here she you know baby's dad's not even in the country just her and the baby now came here pregnant and he the baby just turned two and I she was moving house and so I had him multiple times this week and I'm wearing him in the tula to get him to sleep and I was like Oh, I, this is this is Alabama. this is it. <laughs> and I'm like, it's because my kids have grown. There, you know, and it's like I think it's an important question for us to ask those of us whose kids, like my youngest, is eight, eight and a half, and it's, it takes a while to come up for air. It really does. Like you actually need some time by yourself once the kids head to school, you know, or if you know if you're not homeschooling, and. um but it's like, I think it's an important challenge for us. Like, am I aloe parenting? Like, as my kids get older, do I have somebody that I'm being that, like, anti to, you know, who maybe is also isolated? Like, I think it's an important question for us to be asking. It's a super important question. And so just for background for people listening, Becca and I connected because we want to do some advocacy work around um, making sure that this kind of support is available to all families in Australia, not, you know, not like that there aren't barriers for people financially culturally linguistically and is that the word (laughs) and um and part of that work was actually um we did a series of interviews um uh it was called mums matter one of the interviews was with an aunt it was a woman who didn't have children talking about what she feels her role is um and the value of childless adults in society anyway so I completely love um what you're saying and and saying my youngest is six so I'm also just kind of in that process of coming up for air and the new that we've just got some new neighbors moved into the house in front of ours um with a tiny baby and a two-year-old and they've just moved from overseas they had their babies during the pandemic and I just can see the exhaustion in her face and I know that feeling and they're very new so I'm not going to like go and bombard them (laughs) but I am also very intentionally thinking like oh next time I have some leftover food or you know next time 
it's a really hot day or, you know, like just kind of like in the back of my mind thinking, how can I reach out? I was really happy the other day because they popped over to borrow some spices and that was like they're doing some Christmas baking and that was like a good little invitation to go like, okay, they're obviously that kind of people. They're going to knock on the door for sugar and, you know, we can build that reciprocity. So, yeah, I completely agree. This is like the responsibility of all people. Yeah, absolutely. So let's bring it back to you because I do want to hear a little bit more about your story. Tell us about specifically what the Peaceful Birth Partnership now does. Yeah, so we we do a few random things, I feel like. One thing was um, at the beginning of the year when things were starting to open up with COVID, um, but there weren't really weren't birth classes running in person. And actually somebody who's... Um, does advocacy in the area, she kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, could you guys run some birth classes? And I was like, because we had been kind of working with people one-on-one. And so we kind of just decided, okay, let's just do it. So we ran free birth classes for anyone to attend. And then people have the opportunity to give donations. We run them um, over four nights, over four weeks, if that makes sense. So eight hours, about eight hours. Um, And we ended up having really good, like, feedback from our, our birth classes, which is fun. We love to act things out and be funny. And, you know, we, we think we're funny. I don't know if other people do. They look a bit shell-shocked the first week, but just kind of have fun. Um, and and had women really having, like, really good results, you know, like in New South Wales. I mean, we have very high induction rates, very high cesarean rates. And uh, we we had really good results coming from our birth classes, which was awesome. But, um, but our real focus, and I do really believe, this is what I've been taught by – Aboriginal and other Indigenous women is that when we really prioritize the women who are most at risk, all women will benefit. So with our free birth classes, we still have mostly partnered women coming, you know, with their partners, mostly white women coming, um, which is great. I'm like, I think birth education is trauma prevention, 100% quality birth birth education. And I think the less traumatized women we have in the world, the better. Um, so I think it's great and we're happy to do that, but we're still like, no, but we really want to find women who aren't going to, can't read our advertising because it's not in their language. We want to, you know, we want to find moms who, um, can't go to a, your average birth class because they're learning English. Maybe they need translation. Maybe they need everything to just be, you know, more, more simple English really. Um, so we created a curriculum that's, um, basically similar to our birth, normal birth class curriculum, but it's. Um, very simple English. We kind of say it's like an ESL kind of based curriculum. And we we had an opportunity actually in August, which was pretty awesome, to work with a group of, I think we had eight pregnant women newly arrived from Afghanistan. And we got to run like a four-hour, I think four or five-hour birth class with them, which was pretty awesome. It was all translated. And then got to do, we also have kind of women's, a basic women's reproductive health kind of class where we talk about menstrual cycle and family planning options and menopause symptoms and um, consent, um, pap smears, or cervical, I think they're called cervical exams now. Um, And so we find opportunities to do that uh, in Wollongong with different organizations um, or um, a lot of our local schools will have like community hubs that are focused on moms who are new to Australia. So we'll kind of go in and run classes there. 
And then we often from there will connect with individuals. Like, so we recently met two pregnant women who are Pakistani. Husbands are doing PhDs here. The, one of the moms really has no English and she's having a baby, you know, at Wollongong Hospital very soon. And so we've been meeting with them in their home um, just past three weeks. And her husband translates everything. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's going to be such an awesome support for her. And I think Jessamy will also go to the birth with them. That's what they wanted. Um, our dream, honestly, is to tr is to run like doula training for women who are in their own community, speaking their own language. Um, I don't think it's ideal to have to have a stranger come to your birth, you know, especially one that's from a different language and culture group. So that's our goal is to actually run something where women, older women, you know, maybe you're done having babies or younger women or anybody could actually be trained so they can go be with their sister, their niece or their daughter or their friend and support them. Yeah, I love it. And that is that is true culturally safe care. It's not someone, you know, the best, the, that's the best practice, isn't it? I mean, the next best thing is for people like us to make a real effort, um, but even better is for them to be able to have the opportunity to both learn those skills, but also have the privilege as in the time or the finances to be able to actually provide that care. So I love that vision. It, it gives me chills. I'm so excited that you're um, working on those kind of things. Uh, I want to know. It's the funnest thing you can ever do. It's the best. Like we get paid in the best food ever. You know, like I just, I always joke, like we just mostly get paid in rice, but it's like, <laughs> like, you, know, like you have to like, it's funny, even with this couple, you know, like we come and they're like, you know, talking, I remember we were talking about how she's feeling. And then her husband's like, but she'll feel much more relaxed if we have tea first and eat first, you know? And so you need to do that before we run our little class with her. And Yeah, I love it. My mum used to work in refugee support when I was growing up and um, she always brought the most amazing food, food that you can't buy in restaurants, you know, like there's no way you can have this food other than home cooked with someone's love. So yes. Yeah. yeah, what a gift. What a gift to be able to share those kinds of things. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, so is there anything else? I think I've asked all my questions. I'm really curious to see what the next few years hold for you um, and I'd love to stay in touch and maybe check in again. But is there anything you want to share um, with our audience? I guess my question really is, how, how can we better support you to continue doing this good work? Um, oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, the Peaceful Birth Friendship is, we're tiny, there's three of us, we're, we're all just part-time, it's, you know. Um, it would be great to figure out ways to be funded. Um, you know, for in, we want to be able to offer individual women free services, but then um, if another organization is having us come, it would be nice to get, you know, get paid to like. <laughs> it's always nice to get paid. paid. <laughs> so we're just trying to figure out how to be more sustainable. Um, are you a, are you currently a, a um, not for profit? Are you no? You're not a DGR one. We're just three individuals. Yeah, so you're just as it's, as it's, sole traders. Exactly, exactly. We all have our own ABNs. It's um, not that we get money that way, but um, yeah. So it's complicated when you start to, um, yeah, try to make a co-op or whatever. Mm. 
and that I, none of us have really, I don't have a brain for that really. And none of us do. So anyway, we're just plotting. So if there's any listeners who are like, I have a brain for that. I know how to do it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that would be so good. Um, Yeah. And I just, I don't know. And I think, I just, I think for listeners, like I think of, I'm sure you have lots of moms who are just in the trenches listening. Um, And I just think like, I I guess I just want to say that breaking cycles in in your parenting, like doing that 10%, 20% more, more attentive, more gentle um, parenting is the most important work we can do. It is. That's why I like the book title, Parenting for a Peaceful World. You know, like if I actually can believe that I'm doing my best to bring less violence, create less violence in the world and create kids that would like, we've always wanted our kids to argue with us. Like I, I grew up, I didn't, I didn't, at the culture where I grew up, I didn't grow up like this in a house like this, but the culture where I grew up was like, you don't back talk, right? Your parents tell you what to do and you do that. And that's actually really dangerous, right? We don't want kids that actually submit to anyone because they're in authority over them. That's actually very dangerous. And I think our generation kind of realizes that. And so, but then parenting a kid that you've taught to like engage with you is the most frustrating thing in the whole world. Like having an 11 year old who tells you every single day why they should have a phone, you know, and you're like, no, no, you know, but you're not wanting to shut them down. Um, It's just such hard work. It's just such hard work. And I know that when I had three under four, it was actually such a difficult time. And um, I just really want to encourage all the moms out there with little kids that actually it really is like you fall off the path and you just get back on, you mess up and you apologize and you get back on and you, you stay the course and you really, it really is, it really will pay off. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I I think that was probably the hardest time in my life to date was those years with children under three, four, five, just, it's just impossible. <laughs> it is, and it's like it's the Robin Grill talks about. You know, parents are between, caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, the rock is um, how they how they were parented and how their culture says they should parent, and then the and then the hard place is your child demands everything from you. They want perfection, right? They come from the womb where everything's taken care of, and then they want that. And finding your way in all of that is is so hard. It's so relentless. It's so tiring. But it really is like if we can do our our bit to like heal trauma in our own lives to to create less trauma in our children's lives like we're gonna make the world a better place like it's it's really exciting actually and supporting other moms like if we're honest when i'm honest i say look i was on medication for a while i go to therapy like here's where i mess up i you know if i'm honest about that then it, it actually empowers other moms to feel like they can do it too it's when we act like we have it all together that other one, yeah, I can't do that. So I'm just gonna, you know, whatever, you know, the other options are. So yeah, I think that honesty is really important. And I think also like, I think we normalize a lot of suffering for moms and and just really like in the same we talk about in birth, right? Like Penny Simpkins said, so we don't want people to suffer, right? Pain is different than suffering. And in motherhood, like suffering is not normal. And if you find yourself suffering, that's the time to reach out. That's the time to go to the GP and find a therapist and get a support group. Like, you know. Yeah, I totally agree. We do really normalize this expectation that it's just going to be awful and there's nothing you can do about it. But it's really not true. It will be intense. 
Yeah. But a lot of these intense things don't have to be traumatic if you have the right support. If you've got people around you and community, you know, that makes all the difference whether you get through this intact or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, oh, Becca. I'd love all of our listeners to go and have a look at peacefulbirthpartnership.org and, um, yeah, stay in touch. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high-quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.